0: one of the hardest things to convince people about when it relates to their sobriety is the many things that they will be better at and what I mean Sherry is You know, it's easy to tell people, oh, your sleep will get better or you won't argue with your spouse as much or you won't have memory loss. You know, those things people know automatically. But people who are trying to quit drinking, they are so fearful that they're going to lose like their personality or their wit. They're afraid they they won't be funny anymore or creative. That's That's a huge one. I mean, there's so many... So many myths that have been dispelled about how writers write more creatively when they've been drinking Or, or songwriters, their lyrics are, are better when they've been drinking And it's just not the case, but that's almost impossible to convince people of Does that make sense to you, Sherry?
1: <clears throat> I suppose, yeah I'm sure that having a buzz like gives people the illusion that they're in more of a creative thought process When maybe it's just a jumbled mess they, you know, and it's not they, coherent. They can't see and it's they, a jumbled they can't mess. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: And, um, but yeah, I think, you know, because it gives you that, se- like, it gives you that sense of like invincibility and creativity, and your guard is down, and you're, you know,
0: um, yeah, are re- open. So. I remember hearing that, like, legend that I don't think is true. This myth that Freddie Mercury. And David Bowie locked themselves in a studio with like a pound of cocaine and all the beer they could drink or booze they could drink and, and wrote and did all the, the arranging of the song pressure under pressure in like 24 hours, just the two of them with a pile of cocaine in a recording studio. And, you know, I remember... When I first heard that whoever I was having that conversation with was like, "Oh yeah, man, can you even imagine how cool would that be? Just to be have this cocaine-fueled creativity that produces this best-selling song and you make millions of dollars." I I don't think it's I don't think it's true. I think there are legends like that out there that just fuel this myth that we're better people when we're under the influence of something or we're better at certain aspects of our lives more under the influence I just think it's all a load of crap mm-hmm. I mean as a writer I can tell you for sure uh, when I was drinking I could not never think of anything to write about or I have actually written while under the influence and then I'll go back and read it later and I'm like oh my god that is so sappy but it's not even, it's not even like effective sappy it's just sappy it's just overly emotional which boy I'm sure that's hard to imagine a drunk person being overly emotional. Yeah. But so this this concept that you'll be better in sobriety, not just not just that the aspects of your life that are out of control will get better like your relationship and your inability to control the alcohol and the amount that you consume, not just that that part will go away, but you'll actually be better, be a better person and eventually feel better in sobriety. That's just beyond the grasp of most people who are high functioning alcoholics and and considering sobriety or in early sobriety, they they just don't believe it.
1: Yeah.
0: I was rereading just this past week. I've been rereading one of the many books that I read in early sobriety. Mm-hmm. One of the many memoirs from alcoholics who had made it. This one's called Unwasted: My Lush Sobriety, and it's by Sasha Skoblick. And I love, she's an excellent writer. If you have not read that, I recommend it highly. But she talks toward the beginning of the book about her biggest fears of sobriety. And she, you know, she says, will I be as funny? Will I still be the party girl? Will I even like dancing when I'm sober? And so in my eyes, that's just this big insecurities battle that she's having with herself. She's, she's worried that all these things that she's proud of that make her who she is kind of built she's built her persona around being this funny person being the life of the party being this person that dances wildly well into the wee hours in the morning that's who she is and her biggest fear in sobriety is will she be able to do any of those things will people still like her basically is what she's saying will she still be entertaining and so insecurities are just unmasked by sobriety they're there to be dealt with because you can't just push them down with alcohol anymore and that rings even though her story is different from mine in the details i i wasn't much of a dancer i i wasn't much of a party girl
1: no I'm a pretty girl
0: <laughs> but i do but i definitely liked you know when we would go to a social gathering when i was drinking I, I can remember kind of sizing up the room, not in a negative, not in an arrogant, egotistical way, but I'd look around and say, all right, you know, if we decide to take this party from this bar to the next bar, who's going to have to lead that charge and kind of trying to decide if that would have to be me or not based on the personalities in the room. And often it was the case where I'd look around and think, you know, nobody here Nobody here drinks hev- more heavily than I do or is more wild than I do. So if we're going to if we're going to do something entertaining or extravagant beyond just sit around a bar and sip our cocktails, it's going to have to be me that that leads it. And I didn't I didn't say that again from a I didn't feel like I was being arrogant when I thought that. I also didn't feel like I was obligated. It wasn't like a like pressure on me. It was just like this is my role. This is who I am. I drink and I drink heavily and I like I don't want that to end, so if I'm gonna make make it so that it doesn't end at 10 o'clock at night, then I gotta come up with something for us to do after 10 o'clock. And it just took all those insecurities, the worrying about what people really thought of me, or or did I even have a decent real personality, or could could anything I said be funny if I wasn't drinking? It pushed all those insecurities down. But I, I think about what alcohol does for the insecurities of the loved one and it really fuel it has the opposite effect, right? It it fuels the insecurities of the loved ones. So you for instance, Sherry, might have been thinking, hey, I thought we talked about we were just gonna have a couple of drinks with these people and then head home and pretty soon you can see I'm getting revved up and and I'm pushing for us to move on and do something more or stay out later or or you know take take the party elsewhere and that doesn't feel comfortable for you and but but basically that's when the gaslighting starts and i tell you come on you know you used to have fun let's have fun mm-hmm. just have a few more drinks we're going we're going to keep going and you start doubting your own intuition which is i am a mother i'm also an adult it turns out an adult human and I have plans for tomorrow that I don't want to be have ruined, so I'd like to just go home and be done, but everything about my alcohol consumption tells you that your intuition is wrong and and you need to just keep it going and so my alcohol kind of fueled your insecurities. Does that sound right? Am I describing that right?
1: Um definitely I think early on like you know Um, moving from, you know, kind of upping the ante, like, before we had kids and stuff, but, um, I think later, very much later towards the end, when we did get a babysitter and we had, like, kids at home, and you wanted to keep the party going, you know, I kind of did it just to stop arguments, um, and embarrassment, in a way, and I knew you would drink at home, so, uh, you no know, i probably i probably wouldn't say like i felt like my insecurity like i was being gaslighted cuz i probably wasn't at the end letting myself be gaslighted cuz i knew there were responsibilities and things at home and the longer we stayed out the more we had to pay the babysitter and the more money that was spent on the alcohol so i knew it wasn't good but i probably just stuck around for the lack of an arguments sake
0: yeah um but still you're I mean, you might be aware of your intuition, but you're not following it. You're just... Yeah. Well, well I, guess, I guess you're not following your, I'm an adult and I don't want to ruin tomorrow <laughs> intuition, but you are following your, I don't want to have an argument and this is the only way to avoid it. Right, intuition. and that
1: ruins, yeah, because like getting you away from alcohol is not. wasn't an easy task. So, um, But I definitely feel like... You know, there were times, like, when we didn't have responsibilities with kids, we were out of town, we were, like, at a convention for our business that we used to own. You know, if I wasn't feeling up for it, I definitely did feel a little, like, guilt. And, like, I guess I am being a stick in the mud because I haven't any responsibilities, so. And early on, for sure, I definitely felt like if I wasn't partying as hard as you, then or staying out and doing all that you wanted. I was being a stick in the mud.
0: Well, I'm glad you brought up those conventions because that's one of the things that I wanted to talk about. I think alcohol has such a warping effect on our sense of reality that when we would go to these conventions, we'd be away from home, the kids would be covered, and, you know, no worries there. We we didn't have any responsibilities beyond, you know, we had, I guess at these, these were industry conventions. We had some meetings to go to in the mornings, but all afternoon, all evening and well into the wee hours of the night was free time with a bunch of other people that were in a similar situation where they were unleashed into this, this freedom without responsibilities. And so even when we were in our thirties and our forties, we were acting like little kids at these conventions, and my my reality was just so warped. And I think this is an important thing for, uh, for people who are either in early sobriety or contemplating sobriety to consider. And I'm not just saying my reality was warped while I was drinking. I'm saying alcohol warped my reality even when I was sober, you know, the next morning after a big party night or, or heading out toward the convention, I had this this vision of myself as, you know, this this kind of party animal. I thought that was a like that was a braggy thing for me, that I could outdrink many of the people there, um, that I was, you know, kind of a leader of the pack. I thought I was smart. I thought I was funny. And often on the last nights of the convention, the conventions we'd be there I think three nights. And in the last night before everyone dispersed and flew home, you know, we'd kind of make a rager out of it and whatever resort property we were at, I would start thinking as soon as we got there, what are we going to do in the last night? What what pool are we going to break into that's closed? You know, what, what rule are we going to break? How are we going to jump some eight foot fence and be somewhere where we're not supposed to be making noise and... I know one of the last conventions we went to had a had a water slide that was off limits after 10 p.m. let's say or 8 p.m. I don't remember. And so sure enough we jumped the fence and then I you know I thought I was so cute that we were all going to go down this water slide. Well, have you ever been down <laughs> a dry water like a water slide that's turned off? There's no there's nothing fun about that. It's not
1: the kind of slide at a playground, that's for
0: sure. Uh, no. Your your skin. You just sit like mm-hmm. in an, instead of sitting in a chair, you're just sitting in an angle. And then if you like really work it and like run and dive onto the slide, oh. it's just like rug oh, burn that. and Ow. it was nasty. I remember we we had a <coughs> we didn't have a bucket, but we had a cooler like the lifeguards you know cooler that they kept their waters in, and we we dipped that in the pool, and then we were trying to throw it up the water slide to get the slide wet, but It was ineffective. Yeah. But I just thought I was the cutest thing there was just, you know, breaking in. And I knew the worst that could happen is the hotel would tell us to leave in the morning. And, you know, in this case, we didn't actually get in any trouble, but I knew the worst, they wouldn't kick us out at 2am, a a bunch of drunk people. The worst thing they would do is tell us that we had to leave the property in the morning, which is when we planned to leave anyway. So there was like no risk involved, but uh, you know, I don't know. I I I just think that our our vision of who we are as drinkers is so jaded and masked by the alcohol and it has these really long-term lasting effects in sobriety. And there's there's good and bad to it, right? There's you know I sobered up and I realized, oh, you know, now that I'm now that I'm around other drunk people that are acting like that, the people who have assumed that role as leader of the pack or who who are leaders of their own pack in, in a different scenario, when I'm around them when, and they're drinking, I'm like, oh, that person's just kind of a boorish moron. Like, <laughs> wow, why don't you have a few more drinks so you can slur some more, you <laughs> loser.
1: Now, welcome to what I
0: thought. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, (laughs) at the time, you know, if I said, let's go jump this fence and go down this dry water slide, I'd get five or six people to be like, yeah, let's do it. You know, and I felt like Napoleon, you know, leading the troops into battle. I do remember Because I could get four or five drunk people to come with me. Yeah.
1: But. I think you had more. I mean, of that particular, you know, in those instances,
0: but it's still just a it's bunch beheaded. of other drunk people. Yeah. It's not like it's not like I gave some impressive Arthur, speech like... that rallied people <laughs> to some important cause.
1: It's the one sober person that hung out with our group. I don't know how he tolerated I it. I know.
0: I think he's like a sociologist that's <laughs> really studying us and he's going to write a book Some. Or I
1: remember that particular dry slide incident. Like I didn't, I stopped drinking early on because we did have to leave and we had plans for breakfast and I think I've talked enough about my you know, my amount of hangovers that I would have. So I wasn't particularly, like, overly drunk. um, But I definitely still had alcohol in my system. But it had gotten to be such a habit of how are we going to be these adults in our 40s and act like we're stupid teenagers and just to kind of push the boundary a little bit because we did have freedom from the kids and we did have freedom from our businesses because it was at a, you know... lot of us were chained to our small businesses. It was a franchise. So I wouldn't say that it wasn't like, like when you say that, you know, like it's only, you do that kind of stuff when you're drunk. So I guess it is a little bit of an adrenaline kind of rush too. So it always, I always think about all those people that do like skydiving and stuff and I'm like, how would they have the nerve to do that? I couldn't do that. Or rock climbing or, you know, hang gliding, that sort of stuff. But I I think it's that adrenaline rush and I always kind of thought like those moments when we were doing something that was breaking the rules on the property in which we were staying, it was like a little, it was not only alcohol induced and fueled, but there was an adrenaline of like kind of pushing that boundary. And then it was like we reverted back to being teenagers. So it was alcohol, immaturity, and adrenaline that kind of. Fueled those events that I think the risk and reward it because we never really got caught and in trouble, so yeah, we just kept amp up in the ante like you said, like every year.
0: I mean, I see your point about the adrenaline, but
1: I just wondered how much adrenaline affects when you're drinking, or is it just a
0: well, an erased? I think it's interesting because when you talk about skydiving, the adrenaline rush is very real from skydiving, but also when you finish skydiving. You can look back on this accomplishment and say, look what I just did. That right. was cool. It was, It took a lot of nerve. Um, there's some definitely some skill involved. But going down a dry water site, it's... Yeah. so But no, but... But it, I'm wondering, but here's like, my if point.
1: alcohol, like,
0: does it increase your adrenaline? So here's my point. What alcohol does is make you think that the thing you're doing is cool, even when it's just not. It's, mm-hmm. I mean... Yeah, so, so at that time, for sure, I thought when, when we rallied a few people to jump a fence with us and go down this dry water slide, that was the equivalent of skydiving for me. Ooh, look at all this risk. We could get caught. We could get in trouble. Look at us badasses. Look what we're doing. So yeah, your point is absolutely valid that the adrenaline's there, but it, it just kind of, it, it, it proves what I'm, I guess what, where I'm going with this and what I'm trying to say you think you're such a badass you think so yeah my adrenaline was flowing big time for sitting you know for all I know the hotel people had a camera on us <laughs> and they were watching us like look at these morons <laughs> let's hope Christmas they don't night. hurt themselves we're not, why would we go and try to break that up there you know it, it would cause us more angst and yelling we'll wake up a bunch of hotel guests if we're out there trying to break it up just let these 42 year old idiots do their thing and they can sleep it off in the morning so the adrenaline's there for sure. I just, I just don't think the things that we do are as cool as we think they are, or I don't think we are as cool as we think we are. Yeah. And, you know, while we're on the dry water side, you know that was also the one that had the lazy river yeah. that was going around the waterslide. Mm-hmm. And for those listeners that don't know what a lazy river is, you you sit in an inner tube and there's a current. And, I mean, it, it was a concrete river. It was part of the pool, basically. The current just moves you slowly around so you sit in your inner tube and you talk with your people well just like a dry water slide isn't very much fun when it's turned off a lazy river when it's turned (laughs) off doesn't have a current so there we are floating in inner tubes floating in inner tubes but we had to like walk on the bottom of the pool because there was no current to push us and there are all these people out that had the hotel rooms that faced the pool not all there were a few people out on their patios still drinking and (coughs) watching us come by and our self propelled lazy river tubes, and I'm sure that was that was really impressive, but again, we were like, oh, this is so cool we're We're going all the way around the lazy river what's what's cool about mm-hmm. that exactly It's two in the morning you have to and kick and paddle you're kicking and paddling an inner tube that you know it was just buffoonery, ridiculous buffoonery
1: yeah, so adrenaline is there, but it isn't increased it's just your perception of what you're thinking is. Kind of back to brain, a brain chemistry question.
0: Well, yeah, you, you you think you think what you're doing is awesome. You think you're a, a fun person. You think you're entertaining to others. You think this is such a great thing. But then, you know, in sobriety, when you see other people that are doing that same thing, all you can think is, what an idiot. You know, that's not there's nothing entertaining about that that's just that's just drunk people being drunk people and so, so sobriety has made me kind of question everything about myself and what i thought of myself at when, when i was the drinker when i was this person that i thought was so smart and that other people wanted to talk to and that I was the life of the party and realized, you know, that that's just, I mean, yeah, maybe I was the life of the the other group of drunk people, but, but there was nothing esteemable or to aspire to or, you know, sobriety is so much better, so much better. I was afraid that the real me wouldn't be funny enough or wouldn't be adventurous enough. But what I've learned is that the... The real me is, you know, mature enough. It, and not to say that I don't know how to f- have fun, but you you kind of get to the point once you've got enough sobriety under your belt that you realize, you know, what what was fun about that exactly? Um, woke up the next day, really tired. Kind of made the next day a disaster. Um, nothing that we did was actually all that adventurous or cool. There's nothing I can. I can talk about and brag about now. I, you know, again thinking about going down a dry water slide. Woo-hoo. Yeah. you know, let's tell the kids about that. They'll be really impressed. We went down a dry water slide. Like you did, what? What's wrong with you? So I just think that all these things that make us feel good about ourselves once we reach long-term sobriety, we realize there wasn't that much there. It wasn't as awesome as we thought it was. The, the writer who thinks that he needs to be drinking to write ends up a much better writer when they write sober. Same thing with songwriters and other types of artists. I mean, there's just example after example where when you get the brain-inhibiting thing out of your system and you let your brain function at peak performance, turns out you're not only just as creative and not just as, in, as inventive, but you're actually better than you were and the stuff that you produce is better but it causes it it causes me to really question things about our relationship, Sherry about about my impression of what I thought about myself and versus what you thought about me when you're in that mode where you think you're the leader of the pack and you're so smart and creative and funny and all this you just assume that the people around you, even in sobriety, feel the same way. So for instance, when I'm acting like a buffoon and I'm drunk, in my mind, I just know how to have fun better than you. But now I realize, you know, that's just annoying and childish and it it really kind of depletes your soul, doesn't it? To, to see me, to see the person that you... Of bound your life to acting that way repeatedly, it's got to be just really tiresome. And I'm sure that it makes you say, "Ugh, I married this fool. Why? Why on earth did I do that? Did I mean you had lots of times when you questioned me that way, didn't you?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, like." before we would have a social event, you know, I knew that, I knew fairly early on, I would say, you know, five years after us being together and out of college, like, you know, early marriage that age, that I felt like you had that role of, I have to be the host, I have to be the entertainer, I have to keep the party going, I have to, you know... Do this like to because if I don't, nobody else is, and it's gonna all suck. And I felt like that was something that was repeated often, not necessarily out loud, but throughout the rest of our life. And, um, you know, we were always the last people to leave places, and you know, so I definitely felt like I kind of thought you were like you just were a show off, and you probably appreciated the. And I was thinking, well, he probably appreciates the attention that he's getting from people he's around. And I'm not saying, like, that to be mean, because maybe you just didn't get the attention from me that you needed. So you kind of took that on. And with your drunken, you know, buffoonery, as you said, like, and keeping the party going, so then you could keep going what you wanted. Um, so you were just fulfilling a lot of things that you weren't probably getting in the relationship like the that's what i thought like the attention and the admiration and the laughs of your jokes and what a great idea that verbal accolades
0: that's funny that you that that was not funny that's interesting that that's what your impression was that was that i was behaving that way because there was something missing in the relationship when for me i i was too wrapped up in alcohol to notice if anything was missing in the relationship. I I didn't I didn't I didn't see you as you know holding anything back or not giving me what I needed. I I, I didn't I guess I didn't put as much value in the relationship when I was drinking as I do now. I I thought of you as a constant. I thought of the marriage as Something that will always be there. And it's not anything I need to work on. It's not anything I need to, to give a priority to. It'll just be there. Because alcohol is where my priorities are. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I might not have been able to conceptualize that. I might not have been able to say, oh, alcohol is my top priority. I mean, that would have been embarrassing and really eye-opening for me to be able to say. But I could definitely say, I can't wait till this weekend when we've got this event coming up. And that's all I'm going to, you know, come Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, all I'm going to think about is what we're doing on Saturday because it's going to be so much fun. And not think about what impact getting real drunk on Saturday night was going to have on our marriage. I
1: guess I just think of like three instances where I felt like you verbalized that to me. Those things that I just mentioned that you were getting attention and, you know... And that you were keeping the party going because if you didn't, nobody else will. Like you, were, you know. I just, I just was thinking of three times that I know for sure where there was argument slash conversation about um, how if you weren't there to do it, nobody else will because that's your role.
0: Right, but you and said that I was, nobody
1: wants to listen to me, and I wouldn't be a good enough entertainer.
0: I definitely um, said you know. that and felt that way. Very and, arrogant. But I don't remember saying, and the reason I do this is because I'm not getting something yeah. out of the relationship.
1: Yeah. I guess when I think about it out loud, you didn't say anything like that, but...
0: But that's how it made you feel. Yeah. In part, right? Yeah. So again, alcohol, my alcohol fueled your insecurities. The Things that, like, because I can only imagine what it'd be like. You sit here and you've got this guy that you're married to and he's acting like a wild monkey and you got to be thinking to yourself, why does he act this way? Oh, it's got to be on me. There's got to be something I'm not giving in this relationship. I mean, they talk all the time about children who are abused or are neglected or whose parents are alcoholics, they blame themselves, right? They oh if only I was a better kid, then my dad wouldn't have to drink the way he does. Or if only I was a better kid, my dad wouldn't have left left us and left mom and I high and dry mm-hmm. so it's an, it's a natural human I mean it's it's painful and sad but it's a natural human instinct <laughs> to say this person that I'm with is behaving in a, in a way that's odd or wrong or hurtful or mean or whatever so what am I doing to cause that?
2: Yeah. Maybe I
1: just you know like those thoughts crept in my mind after we had done some you know, like a love, the love languages thing and, um, just some conversations. It was when you were still drinking, but about how I don't verbalize, um, my thankfulness or niceties or accolades. And so maybe that's why I thought that when you would go and be the life of the party and you were talking and you were getting like, you know, good responses from people. That's maybe why I thought that you were doing it because you weren't getting it from me at home enough. Cause we did that love language book together quite a while ago. Yeah. So.
0: No, I, I just really, you know, I was driven by what can I do to keep drinking and have keep, have continuing to drink, be normal looking and the natural progression so it's midnight <laughs> and if we're going to keep and we're we're just standing around staring at each other drinking if we're going to keep this going i've got to come up with something we got to find a jump a fence to jump over and a place to go that's off limits in order for this not to just get boring and have everyone go oh i'm i'm going to turn in for the night it was never about emotional deficiency which is interesting because now, now in, in this long-term sobriety, you know, I, I really truly believe that I, the person I've become is better than the person that I was as a drunk. You know, I've got s- some amount of memory now, whereas I used to have almost no memory. I, I just do my best to to listen as opposed to always needing to be the one that's talking or leading. I I try to show empathy and compassion. I really try to listen to people and and meet them where they are and not drag them to wherever I want us to be. And so I feel like I feel like all the the things that I used to be afraid of and, and, and we still laugh a lot too that's the other thing there's still lots of humor in our lives and I mean I, I have a much more specific sense of what kind of comedy that I enjoy for instance when you talk about humor I, like I know which comedians I'm going to like or which mm-hmm. movies that are, are going to like I'm not a big slapstick comedy kind of guy I know that that stuff doesn't hit the mark for me but I know if you're sarcastic and maybe a little bit mean-spirited. I'm going to think you're hilarious. So, so it's almost more like a refined sense of self and who you are and what you're going to enjoy. So I feel like I'm a, I'm a, I I think I'm a better person in sobriety. But I also, here, here's where I'm going, here's the point. I also have a much better sense of the things I'm not good at and the things that I'm not fulfilling in the relationship and those are things that I, when I was a drinker, I had no concept of. I thought I was great at everything and, you know, I was, you were lucky to have me as your husband and I could do no wrong and any, any Anything that you saw as wrong was just your prudish um, naivety or whatever, you know, yes, yes, I made mistakes, yes, I drank too much, yes, I had to apologize yes i I did things I said I wasn't gonna do, and so there were lots of apologies, but even in the midst of a time when I was apologizing a lot, I still thought I was not perfect but but pretty darn good, and now now I can see. I can see my weaknesses and I can see areas where I need to improve and I can see the damage that I've done to our relationship. And I'm not as confident. I don't walk around just like, "Oh, Sherry's lucky to have me." I walk around thinking, "Oh, I'm lucky Sherry's still here and she hasn't kicked me out." And and, and it it just makes me appreciate the balance a lot more. that that that's what this is this isn't you know we got together and we got married and you know till death do us part and that's me clapping the dust off my hands there's no more work to be done this is it it is what it is and it's pretty darn good and you know let's open a beer and sit back and enjoy it there's there's constantly work to be done and ways to improve and ways to be a better listener and to to not do the things that drive us apart but focus on the things that bring us together and so when we talk about how hard recovering a relationship is we've said it many times before Sherry that it's actually easier to keep a marriage going in active alcoholism in in our opinion in my opinion anyway because the drinker is oblivious and the loved one you know learns to live with it basically puts up their defense mechanisms might, might be completely miserable but just goes through the motions and does what they have to do it's it's in sobriety when there are four eyes that are wide open and The pain is there to be dealt with and the the ex-drinker no longer thinks he's God's gift to women or God's gift to the planet and realizes he's just human like everybody else and full of faults and has made a ton of mistakes that's when those insecurities of the drinker come bubbling up because there's no more alcohol to push him down you following what I'm saying?
1: Yeah I am. It's, yeah, it's hard to, I mean, it was unfulfilling, but easy to, you know, go through the motions. And towards the end of your active alcoholism, I definitely felt like we didn't argue as much. And, I mean, you were just feeling bad and depressed and beating yourself up more and the self-loathing and the, like, the... I don't want to like dismiss depression cuz I know that you know some people have really 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 terrible depression um but you're in your anxiety and so I felt like we had kind of come to the I I'd kind of come to this like knew how to deal with it all yeah so we didn't fight so now that you're not drinking and you've been sober for a while um I'm having to do the work For me, and it definitely is really hard.
2: I mean, I guess I just thought marriage would be, like, easy or something. I don't know. I mean, I knew there'd be issues and difficulties and personality conflicts. I just didn't realize, like, all the garbage you bring into a relationship. And then when you soak it in macerated and alcohol, and it hides like that for 20, 25 years... All the leftover crap. The sludge at the bottom, I guess, is kind of the way I feel sometimes right now. Like, I have days where I feel like that. And it's hard to, like, erase all those memories. And it's hard, like, to just kind of drop it and look forward. But I know that it's going to be worth it. Because, I mean, if I hadn't, you know, already divorced you... Then I couldn't see any reason to do it other than me just cowering out and not
0: wanting to do the work. So. And there is there is hopefulness in it, right? Yeah, I mean... I mean...
2: I think that, like, I guess when you were drinking and you would always be the life of the party, you're funny. I thought, man, he has, you should hear him like when he's not drinking. That is like your best comedy because you're so quick-witted and it's dry and sarcastic, and then when you would drink, it would just be gross and so, like, over-exaggerated that it, you know, so now, like, we do have, like, lots of fun together and we get along and we like a lot of the same things, and so that part is is easy that,
1: you know, like, the friendship part, and getting to really appreciate you again are developing a friendship, I should say.
0: You made a really good point. You know, I think you carry so much stuff. I think is how you said it into a relationship. And I think any, you know, adult relationship, a marriage, or anything similar is, it's, it's hard enough. I think that's how it's supposed to be. It's there's supposed to be some challenges to overcome. But I wonder what that would like. I mean, if, there, if there's anything, any situation that I'm jealous of or any anything I wish I could do over and do differently, I wish we could start our relationship without putting that 25 years of alcohol in there to make it so much harder because I think learning to mature together and to get along together and to appreciate each other and learning to be a listener and not just a talker and rather than trying to solve all your problems just listen to your problems and be a person that you you look at with um, what's the word Not, not admiration but appreciation and respect, respect is the word I'm looking for knowing that no matter what I say or what I do you respect me for it that would be so great but I know that I don't have that because of the many years of alcohol. And so, whereas I used to think I was just this charming little, you know, charming little devil, I, I now realize no, I was kind of this unattractive, lame, repetitive, slurry beast that you had to deal with and even though things are getting better and we're moving in the right direction I'll never be able to wipe that slate clean that that will always be part of our relationship now in some ways it makes it better right? because we have something that we are overcoming and we can look back with a sense of pride and accomplishment for having overcome it but god I wonder what it would be like to never have alcohol have entered our lives and I just I mean I think about people who aren't necessarily alcoholics but they they drink on a consistent basis and they're 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 social drinkers or they're you know moderate drinkers and they think the alcohol is enhancing their lives but I guarantee you it's harming their relationships in one way or the other it's making the person that they're with when they've got a little buzz on and they get loud and their jokes get gross it's making the person they're with think gosh you should hear him when he's sober or making them think how much more they enjoy being with that person when that person doesn't have that buzz going and so it just it hurts, it hurts to know the prevalence of alcohol not only in our relationship and in our situation and in situations that are similar but even for people for whom it's not that big a problem, it's, it's making your relationships worse whether you realize it or not. And it all comes back around to instincts and insecurities. You know, I used alcohol to cover my insecurities and it gave me these instincts of be the party animal and everything will be fine. And so it warped my insecurities and instincts. Whereas you, who didn't drink nearly as much and mostly were sober through the last decade or so, your insecurities, all my alcohol did was make them worse. And all my alcohol did to your instincts was tell you that they were wrong. And we see it all the time with the people that we talk with and work with. They're constantly, the sober ones are constantly questioning their instincts because they've had so much alcohol in their lives from the people around them that they just don't know what to trust anymore. And it's kind of sad, isn't it?
1: hmm Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I never really thought about it like being my instincts necessarily, just my um, ability to ration and reason and, you know, like, and it would make me question my intelligence and like I felt like my instincts were always you know there I just felt like I had just been so messed up from before that and other things that it just put a lot of that into question like I must I must just have you know no intelligence I just must have like no idea how the real world works or I must have no idea you know
0: and how do you feel now? um you feel more confident
1: I feel a little bit more confident I think that I feel because I think that you often share with me how you're feeling and I think that sometimes my instincts and in your um, verbalization of your thoughts and feelings like really match up so I don't feel as insecure about those I definitely feel like I um still have a really hard time like speaking up about things that are instinctual or something that pops into my head or or my opinion about something i get i think i still am reluctant to share a lot of things without like overthinking it in my head because i'm worried about the way that i'll come across or that
0: because of years of me telling you that you were wrong
1: yeah, or just that, you know, I'll be, you know, I'll not say it in a in a good way and it'll just cause confusion and irritation and a tense moment between us and I, you know, and I still have worry, like, not that you ever ridiculed me, um, it was always self-inflicted, but, you know, there was like if i didn't if i told you something and i was and you had a different opinion like oftentimes you would you know i felt like you were trying to persuade me that you were right and that we should do it this way instead of just listening to your opinion and taking that your as your opinion and then this is my opinion and then we can kind of work together i would just feel stupid and do it your way yeah so now i feel like if i want to talk to you about something, I like kind of overthink it in my head and worry and fret whether or not I'll just revert back to, you know, that. Like well, I must not be smart enough so we're going to, you know, about this or yeah.
0: And that's a hurdle that we've got to continue to try to get over but from my perspective, What's really interesting is, you know, it used to be back when I was a drinker, even when I was sober as a drinker, yeah, I was pretty sure my opinion was the way to go. My whatever I thought was right, and it was just a matter of convincing you that I was right too. And so I often would say things that would make you feel like you weren't smart or that I would devalue your opinion, whereas now I just have so much. By getting away from alcohol I have downgraded my opinion of myself I'm trying to say this right I don't think that I'm you know smart and cute and you know have all the answers my overall opinion of myself is better I'm proud of who I am but I also see my human flaws and weaknesses and I think I'm just like everybody else just trying to do my best and and think things through. And and what that does as it relates to you and our relationship is it dramatically elevates my opinion of you in my eyes. I understand what you're saying that you still feel that insecurity. But if you share your opinion on something parenting or something about home finance or you know a vacation that we're talking about, whether we should do it or not it used to be just a question for me of how long it was going to take me to convince you to do it my way and now I legitimately want to hear what you say and as many times as not I adopt your opinion on something as opposed to trying to convince you of mine
1: yeah and I mean and and I know that like we do things around the house a lot of the ways that I do and I think that just comes from like you being out of the house when we owned our own business, you worked there more, and that, you know, the house and the way we were doing things, so it's not like I want our listeners to think that you just were an ogre and we did everything your way and, you know, but I definitely feel like if it was things that were not everyday home stuff, or if it had been about, um, you know, like the business I would feel really uncomfortable talking to you about my thoughts or my ideas or my opinions
0: yeah Yeah. well one of the things that makes me think that your thoughts are and opinions are solid smart, probably the way we should go one of the things that gives me confidence in you I've got more confidence in you than you have in you right now I don't think there's any question about that and I think that's a natural part of the recovery process you can't be gaslighted and knocked down for years and years without taking a little time to, to build the self-confidence. But I, I see a ton of value in, in the things that you say way more I think than you see at this point. And one of the things, not just sobriety, but one of the things that helps me feel that way about you is what we have learned through our Echoes of Recovery program. And what I mean by that is when We've got all these other loved ones of alcoholics that are connecting and sharing and communicating in our Echoes of Recovery program. And I hear, I hear them express their instincts and share how certain situations make them feel, whether the person that they love is in sobriety, in early sobriety, in long-term sobriety, or is still actively drinking. When they share their reactions to situations and communication that they're having with their alcoholic their reaction is the same as yours they're the way they handle themselves the way they the the way their insecurities get highlighted the way their instincts are so pure and so right I say to myself you know gosh all these people have the same reactions to alcoholism. It can't be them that it can't be that all the loved ones of alcoholics are wrong. That just doesn't make sense. It only makes sense that we drinkers are the ones who have the warped view on things and are the way we're going about our lives is is doing damage to our relationships and to ourselves. And so it just just being around the other folks in the echoes of recovery program and again it's it's spouses of alcoholics it's parents of alcoholics children of alcoholics we have kind of all segments represented but the way they react to the disease of alcoholism is the same way you did with the same insecurities and the same instincts and it just solidifies for me That you were right all along and that, you know, what I was experiencing was the collateral damage of this disease. And I wasn't all that when I thought I was all that. I should have been listening to you all along. But if you are the loved one of an alcoholic and again, in active alcoholism or in recovery... We want to be a part of your recovery because the loved ones have to recover too. And we hope you'll check out our Echoes of Recovery program. You can get more information at echosofrecovery.com E-C-H-O-E-S of recovery.com And we'd love to have you join us and continue down this path with us. If you found this conversation to be of value and if you believe that crushing the stigma that's associated with alcoholism both for the value of the drinkers and also for the value of the loved ones. If you think that's an important mission and maybe echoes of recovery isn't right for you, but you want to support us and you want to see us keep going, we would be very happy for your financial support, your donation at and you can you can contribute uh, on our nonprofit website thestigma.org backslash donate thestigma.org backslash donate so we thank you for listening we hope that this conversation about insecurities and instincts and the differences between the way we feel about ourselves in active alcoholism the fears that we have about getting sober oh will I be as funny will I still be the life of the party and then the reality of Recovery, which is that life's much better, but boy is it hard. We hope that some of this has resonated with you, and we thank you very much for listening. For my wife, Sherry Salis, my name is Matt Salis, and this is the Intoxicated Podcast.